into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. God damn America. Welcome to Pod Damn America. Anders Lee here with my trusted comrade Alex Patak. It's time for the news. Jake's Jake's Flores. I just called him Jake's Jake Flores. Jake's, it's like attorney's general, right? <laughs> well, that's that's what you say when there's multiple Jake Flores. Is the oh Jake's Flores Can of you the country? Imagine? What a dream! <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't find a Jake's a Jake Flores to fill in out of all the Jake's Flores for our leader today. He is indisposed currently, but we will be bringing you hot takes. That's right. On the news of the day, riffs, uh, info. That's right. Um, when when the what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? When the goose is away, the chicks come out to play. Is that what it is? I've never heard that. It's. I think that's what it is. Is when a baby goose a chick? Because I assume they were called something else—a hatchling, a gooseling, baby goose. Hold on. A baby goose is a gosling, yeah, like duh, Ryan. I should have. Oh, so the know, expression must be when the goose is away, the goslings come out to play. That's right. And that's what's happening today, people. We're talking climate. I'll, a bit of a spoiler right now. Looking pretty good. <laughs> right. They solved it. They fixed it. They fixed it, folks. No more worries. We're gonna. That's what. Head to the beach at the correct times, and it's not going to be 70 in November anymore, which is confusing for all of us. I've been thinking about today, like, what would it have been like? And and I know you said this is was structurally impossible, which is, you know, probably the case. But say in, you know, 1986 or whenever it was, when they did the first hearing, when they actually, for this hearing, they scheduled it intentionally in the House or Senate on the hottest day of the year. And they turned off the AC and uh, closed all the windows to make it as hot as possible. And James Hansen, not Jim Henson, James Hansen, the climate ha! scientist, comes in and he, you know, maybe, Kermit well, maybe that's the problem. The room. Maybe that's the <laughs> problem is he did retire. not. Maybe the problem is he was not. Um, he did not communicate effectively enough. He did not get a Muppet. Or some sort of visual aid and uh, show people the disaster of climate change. An extinction event. Right. <laughs> That's basically what he said, but I don't know if they heard him or what. Uh, what have you? I mean, they definitely don't get ignored cold him. Feet about future generations. <laughs> <laughs> but what if they had actually listened? How different would the world be today if they were actually like, okay, let's do it? Oh. Um. How different would it be in terms of politics or in terms of everything? Lives lost. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I guess you would have to totally upend uh, at at a minimum neoliberalism, uh, which was in full swing at that time. Right. Um, you initially told me about this, and I said structurally this is impossible to have happened, even as a counterfactual. But I am interested in hearing more of your thoughts. 
Well, I, I guess, I mean, they've they've been saying, obviously, I don't believe, you don't believe, no one should believe that the market can fix this problem. But if they had really, because you know, the Reagan administration was actually quite protectionist in many ways for U.S. firms. Uh, and if there had been some, uh, you know, solar uh, company, and that that's one thing that I... I wonder if the Democrats actually want to do this, if they want to take like some, uh, you know, because throughout history, there have been companies that have been like new technologies and the government has um, subsidized them and supported them. And then they've become sort of uh, intertwined with the government and they basically uh, like the, the equivalent to an oil company. Right. But it's like completely corrupt, like an oil company is and funds politicians. And uh, but it's for like, solar panels or something or windmills could they have done that at some point mm. well in we talked same about that, that a little bit in the interview about the interventions you could have in a market system to save yourself are just not the trigger is not being pulled so i guess if the question is like what if you know there was an actual attempt to manipulate the market to save ourselves um i don't think you'd You'd be feeling the effects of it yet, just due to the weight, rate of technology. Like I think, even if everybody was on the ball about this, it would have to be just complete declining uses of fossil fuels, which I also can't imagine. But I think no matter, even if Kermit the Frog gave an amazing speech in 1986, I do not think we would be out of the woods yet. Well, yeah, you would have obviously needed a political movement that was actually going to. Uh wrestle power from the capitalist extractive right class well the the issue is of climate change is solidly linked to capitalism because the environmental destruction that generates the collapsing of all of these uh, nets that hold our lives together and the ecosystems of the world are destroyed by the market economy which uh, has unlimited extraction in every pothole of the world, taking everything out and turning it into boxes uh, for you and your friends at Christmas. So, <laughs> so like, if you don't change that, you are essentially asking, you're asking the market to stop being the market to which it cannot say yes, which is the fundamental problem we are in, which is what ways can you stall this confrontation? Which ways can you uh, 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 speed up the result to a more logical uh, place where we can save ourselves? And that's the question we're going to be dealing with for some time here. What was the, uh, we had some climate thing we wanted to talk about before this interview starts. Justy boy, Justin Trudeau. All right, Justy Trudeau. boy. Uh, Gay Street. Look, can we squeeze in the little nugget of hope from this week, yesterday, that uh, has me somewhat, um, somewhat happy? Should have you happy, listener, the uh, events in... <laughs> The nation I of give you India. Permission to squeeze it. All right, I'm going to squeeze it in. We're going to do India then Canada. Farmers in India have stopped these farm laws, and it's difficult to figure out what exactly these farm laws say because of translation issues. Um, that's what I'm assuming. It's probably I probably could. I would just need to be literate in agricultural law. But these farm laws, uh, basically, Modi has been trying to completely overhaul India's agricultural system and deregulate it um, a bunch. And it would be very, very bad for farmers in the country. So they've done a massive, massive 
strike uh, for like, I feel like it's been over a year now and they finally got him to relent um, and scrap these laws. So Folks. there's a lot of details here that I, maybe we'll do an episode about this, uh, about, about this soon, but like, there's still working is, class know, power in India, folks. It's only gone here. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's it, yesterday. Uh, very bad news, obviously, about uh, Kylie Rittenhouse um, getting just off. Just being Kylie. That's what we're going to call him from now on, just because it annoys him. Sure, you I'm don't sure. have to go to jail, but we're going to call you Kylie, like Miley Cyrus. <laughs> You son yeah. of a bitch. Uh, on, on the Kyle Rittenhouse subject, I do believe we have talked the most we could possibly talk about his trial on other episodes, uh, to which is to say I am not surprised, but I am disappointed. It's no good. No good at all. Um, yeah, I understand. I don't think it's wrong for people to be shocked, right? Because it's such a blatantly um, ridiculous thing he got away with. But like, it just kind of blows my mind that the main takeaway from this for some people is like, like of all the things you could complain about with Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, basically, you know, and this precedent this sets for right wing extremists doing murder, right? To left wing activists, the the your main focus and takeaway is on the fact that some German newspaper misidentified the victims as black, like that's it. Like there, that's the pr- big problem here. Are people talking about this? I've missed this discourse. Some people, yes, are very upset that uh, not with the fact that he was found not guilty, but with the fact that the media has been colluding to uh, to divide us on race because they're lying to people that he killed uh, black activists when they were really white, as if that really makes a difference. And like, as if there are all these people who think they were. Black and are somehow not going to be upset if they know he killed. White I understand people. how the confusion happens there because it's a Black Lives Matter protest, and if right. you're in uh, Germany, you're just like the Black Lives have been taken. Put yeah, so a news. couple. Right, and it's all international newspapers that like they what things got lost translation, and so they they printed this, and uh, some people, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald, are saying that this is a <laughs> big. <laughs> That this is a a despicable case of the media, the U.S. media lying to people mm. and trying to mm. uh, push this left liberal agenda, right? Which is, it just kind of boggles the mind that that is the takeaway you have from from yesterday. But I guess you know, I I've, had not heard about the German part of it, but I think you are really getting on to uh, the meat of the problem, which is in any specific political issue that people can take specifics and just target lock onto those, engage all of their pedantic machinery and just completely obfuscate whatever it is anybody is talking about, uh, in terms of this trial, which, you know, as, as we were saying on the other episodes is not scary so much in terms of the fate of this one child, but is much more about the message it sends in the future right. to other protesters and to people who maybe think that they would want to show up and kill those protesters. But let's not think about it anymore because it's one heavy topic at a time today. Yep. <laughs> think India. If you're getting down about that, if you're getting down about climate, uh, which brings us to a little gaff. This is funny. Oh, this is a big one, folks. Justy Trudeau 
in Canada was asked about uh, how he's been basically uh, drill baby drill for his time in office. And his rationale for that is he says, and I quote, uh, Canada is a major oil and gas producing company. That's mm. what comes out of his mouth. And then he says, oops, I slipped up. I meant country. And really, <sighs> Justy, this was very much a Freudian slip. Um, and I don't mean that in a sexual way. Uh, one of the few things about Freud that's not about doing it mm. um, is the Freudian slip. I found paging um, Dr. Freud. Justy or, made the gaffe of the week. Yeah, but he let out some truth because uh, it turns, and I didn't realize this, but metaphorically Canada, having sex with his own mother. <laughs> there you go. In terms of misspeakings. There you go. That's why I've never read Freud. It's just all about all about the uh, you know sexual. Oedipus. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this, but this, I, I feel like this is the one thing that's not about sex with Freud. Although maybe it is too. Mm, uh, maybe he Freud, finds maybe some way to. <laughs> But so, as it turns out, Canada actually began as a company. It was just like England's little outpost, Britain's little outpost for uh, extracting oil. And that's kind of what the, the common wisdom has been for for uh, several centuries, um, that that's what you got to do. If you're a politician there, you got to let it happen, which, uh, you know, a lot of countries do. Um, but you don't have to do it in – and obviously I think we should – ramp down fossil fuels and oil uh, entirely at some point. Um, but if you're going to do it, the only way to do it in a responsible way and in, in a way which actually helps us survive, because if we, if Canada is going to drill, they can really only drill like 15% of the uh, carbon reserves because they have a bunch in Alberta and they want to take out all of it. But if they do that, then we're going to be screwed. Like the, that means a literal extinction for basically. Yeah, you can't burn any of it. Right. You can take it out if you want, I guess, just to hold it. <laughs> just to throw at your friends. You know, ah, I got, got the goop on you. I got the goop on you. That would yeah, be okay. But a... that's not what they're going to do with it. No one's saying that is. Right. If you have a syrup shortage, maybe you can cut it with some of that some of that oil. But is this the misunderstanding? Do they just think it's syrup? <laughs> Do you think it's like Earth syrup? <laughs> they must. They Those must, Canadians, right? they love to tell us how stupid we are right. and how like backwards we are. But hey, America wasn't founded on uh, oil. It was founded on. Slavery, but uh, you know, wasn't wasn't as bad as Canada in that respect. This one so, isn't about us. Yeah, they love Oil to do that. They love syrup. to project and talk about how awful the United States is, as if we're like not basically the same country, and are they have like one small iota of moral superiority on us, right? Um, but uh, basically, yeah. The, if if you're gonna ha if you're gonna drill oil, then do it in a responsible way. The only way to do that is to have the public take over the oil companies. You can't keep this market system to keep to keep going and going and going. It's got to be gone. Right. Um, and it's for these reasons we are officially giving Prime Minister Justin Trudeau the Pod Damn America Flub of the Week. 
You're hearing the week. Splat. Form of the week. But with that, we will hear some hopefully more uh, constructive ways to deal with the climate crisis. There's going to be some good. There's going to be mostly bad, but you will be informed with that. Let's go to the interview. All right. We are now joined bar. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) We are now joined bar. We are now joined by Darna Noor, who is a climate reporter with the Boston Globe and bylines in some other places. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. But you, you write for the Boston Globe, but you are in Baltimore. Uh, do you just, uh, is your beat just cities that start with B's and you traverse between them or, yeah, or how yeah, does that work? Exactly. Um, yeah, next I'm going to have to do like some Baton Rouge reporting. And <laughs> what other cities start with B? Brussels. Yeah, Brussels. Which is great. Actually, great segue, if I do say so myself, to (laughs) the EU, which is in Brussels. Actually, not so great of a segue, but I'll make this work. EU in Brussels, international body, another international body met this week in or this, you know, couple past couple weeks in Europe, in Scotland, COP26. Uh, You've been covering this. What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the uh, signs of hope? And what are the signs of despair? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it's like pretty hard to not feel despair about these UN meetings in general, because they're always filled with like just such uh, absurd amounts of bullshit. But I guess that there's, you know, there's there were some good things that happened, too. Um, Most of the good things that happened at the UN meeting actually had nothing to do with the UN meeting. I mean, like they were convened there, but like. They were kind of external to the negotiations. So like a bunch of countries, um, not including the U.S., of course, uh, signed a pledge to basically transition away from oil and gas, um, which is it's wild that that's like a big step. But it is um, at the US COP sign- 26. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 125 never came up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but for real, though, <laughs> actually, uh, what are they doing at the meeting? <laughs> They're like, they're trying to figure out how they can make money off of this shit. Oh my God. Um, really? So yeah. stressful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really stressful. Um, so yeah, there were some good things that happened, but the actual agreement, well, whatever. It's like the agreement itself, there's like lots of bad things about it. There were some things that looked like they were going to be good about it that got watered down. But ultimately, like, I think one thing that's sort of like missing from a lot of the coverage and shit about this is that all of these agreements are basically not binding anyway. So like there's Mm. only so much that you can ever really do. So in some ways, like the least depressing thing about COP26 is that it doesn't it's like not the most important thing. Um, We don't have anything better. So that sucks. But yeah, right. Like in New York, for example, uh, we set our goals to uh, transition our energy away as, as a state by 2025 or something. I'm going to get mm-hmm. all the dates wrong. So do not message me about those. <laughs> uh, but there is actually no direction in the budget to actually meet any of the goals that they set. So totally. yeah. this is like a step before that internationally on a much larger scale. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, no, I mean, that's, it's really true. Like there is the promises themselves are pretty weak and then also like holding yourself to like any sort of promise is uh you know there's like no body in the un that has the authority to do that at all like there's no method to enforce it there's no penalties for like 
saying you're going to do something and then not doing it. Um, there's actually not even rules for negotiating, which is wild. Like 26 of these conferences ago, um, like the U S and Saudi Arabia and like all the OPEC countries, uh, basically like worked hard as fuck to make sure that there were no bylines that got on the books. So now everything is by consensus. Cause there's no like, Oh, we have to vote on these things. It has to be a majority. It has to be a super majority. It's just like a free for all basically, but which is why like one country can refuse to do something. And then it fucks up everyone. Right. It's really great. <laughs> it does get to the core of the issue that even if uh, you had a bunch of idealists getting in these rooms together with no massive oil delegation, which I think we should talk about in a minute, yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> as it's very relevant to the discussion, uh, even if they you had a bunch of bright eyed, you know, futurists together in a room who said, you know, we're going to get rid of coal by 2025 internationally. The part where the rubber actually hits the road for all of these countries is completely off of the table because uh, e- even though the, the general awareness people have of the scope of the problem, I think is emerging and that people are taking this more seriously than they were maybe 10 years ago. But it doesn't change the fact that the world economy is still entirely based off of being able to burn the uh, resources we're getting from extractive industries. So even if it you know on paper it behooves you to stop burning oil if 60 percent of your country's economy is oil you're just going to keep doing it because it's suicide to stop yeah yeah 100 percent. and i know that i mean we can talk more like specifically about this but that's also why there's so much focus on like any solutions that don't require a change of business model at all right like it's all about oh how can we keep actually burning oil and gas at this rate? How can we keep extracting uh, and then just like fix it in post, basically? Um, so. We're internationally fixing it in post. That seems yeah, exactly. like the, that's the overall state mission statement we've been going with. Exactly. That's, uh, yeah, COP26, fix it in post. <laughs> well, I'm curious, like what COP1 was like? Like what, I mean, you talked about that a little bit, but like back then, did the it seems like there was no sense of urgency or they just the maybe they thought they were kicking the can down the road and that's what we're continuing to do. But like, was there any semblance of um, a notion that like we, we need to actually take care of this or was it just kind of like, we'll, we'll set up some, you know, some market-based solutions that, you know, in 20 years, a new generation will pick up. Like what, what was the, the, the vibe even like back then? Uh, I'm trying to think, was I alive? I guess I was like just alive. I clearly, I was not covering uh, COP back then, but I think that market-based solutions were like always part of the, like a big part of the scheme. Um, But I will say too, like there's always been nations that have taken this shit seriously. Like obviously if you're the Maldives or like Seychelles or like a Mm. tiny island nation where you know that this is a question of life and death for you, um, you have a way bigger incentive to take it seriously. The problem is that those are like not the leading economies, right? So it's really, really politically difficult for small nations who are on the front lines of this shit to actually like have any political power because they're totally dependent on big economies, which is a pretty horrible dynamic that I think we just see getting worse and worse and worse. But like that, that was definitely present uh, at the early cops too. And it's, it seems like the problem now is there's no real binding authority. Uh, like how do you change that? Is the, is the only option like internal change within the the powerful countries or like how how, what incentive would uh, one of these summits have to actually enforce this stuff and how would they enforce it it's a it's a hard question because like 
part of the problem is that the like UN is an international body. So because mm-hmm. of like national sovereignty, it's hard to enforce laws internationally. Um, I think that one model that's sort of worth looking at is, uh, you know, there was obviously there's been other international treaties to do other things. And I think the ones that have worked really well uh, have kind of relied on basically trade, me- like like ones that actually regulate industries. Um, mm. Like when nations work together to stop using like CFCs, um, the way that it worked was basically like, if you use these polluting chemicals, you can't sign on to this treaty and people who sign on or the nations that sign on to this treaty cannot trade with nations that haven't. So you have like a business incentive. It's basically like you're regulating industries directly that way by being like, either you get on board with this or you can't trade like, or you're economically fucked. Um, so something like that, I think would be really the only way I can think of to give the like Paris agreement any teeth. Um, but honestly, I mean, even if they did that, like, it's not, the Paris Agreement isn't binding. The only thing that's in these agreements that's binding is that you have to make pledges, but you don't actually have to stick to them, so. Mm. Just for the sake of being controversial, a lot of times what you see <laughs> uh, written down about this kind of stuff is that the U.S. is not, or from a climate beat, not from like CNN or something, that the UN, uh, the U.S. is not following through on its role it gave itself as the climate leader, that, mm-hmm. as Joe Biden likes to call us, because yeah, yeah. we're an economy with like less than 1% of our GDP in oil. Um, we're fully industrialized. We have all the big buildings already. Uh, it should hypothetically be easy enough for us to start the ball rolling on scaling down and switching to alter alternate energies, or at least, you know, making a plan to do that. And so there's a lot of like chastising, understandably, you know, America for not filling that role. Do you think in a world where uh, we were stepping up to that, that that would actually get the ball rolling for this. Like, uh, let's say America actually starts decarbonizing at a reasonable rate. Do you, do you think like the EU and uh, China and Russia start getting their own plans in order? Is everybody just waiting on us? It's uh, a hard question. I mean, yeah, I do think that like the U.S. has a lot of potential to obviously it's like, you know, the uh, biggest global power there is. I think that the U.S. does have a lot of power to influence like other nations, um, especially if it does that in a way that's like actually collaborative. Um, if the U.S. decided that it was going to, for instance, like work with China to decarbonize instead of being like our whole thing is just that we're going to like take down your solar economy and we're going to try to beat you. Um, which it will never do. Like the U.S. just does not have the same kind of manufacturing power that China Despite has. Despite the fact like, our so. economies are tied together at the hip at this point, exactly. it would be suicide it, to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's stupid. That kind of collaboration, I think, is just like, I mean, not anywhere on the agenda. But that's that's what I think could really do it. Um, also, the other thing is that like the U.S. is the biggest historical emitter, and also obviously we have tons of wealth. Um, and so the other thing the U.S. could do is like help finance global South countries and like poorer nations um, with their transitions. And that's something that uh, the U.S. really, really does not want to do is like help other economies uh, with their transitions. But well, it seems too that like, you know, conservatives will always when they're confronted about this, it, the ones who acknowledge that climate change is real or might be real or something like that, they'll say, oh, yeah, OK, but China China, 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 they're they're doing it worse. They think yeah. their emissions they're doing uh, they're it polluting worse. too. But in reality, it's a much smaller scale than the US. Like we're 
just far and away the biggest biggest polluter. Well, they have um, way more yeah. people, is what it is. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was just gonna say too. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about like emissions per person, there's just no comparison at all. Um, yeah, the U.S. should really, really stop blaming other countries for pollution. But uh, you know, it's a very easy way to make it so you never have to do anything, just to, like point the fingers at China. So. Yeah. Right. Even and if it was true, it wouldn't really change the end result of the conversation, which is that everyone, especially the fully industrialized economies, have to start doing this. Um, and is this while we're on China, is this something they're already I know it with Cuba, they are starting to help Cuba weatherize and develop solar power and stuff. Is that happening with uh, Belt and Road and African countries or, or like? Are they doing stuff to get the ball rolling on alternative energy sources in, in the developing world while the while the U.S. is refusing to? Um, I don't I mean, I don't know how much like actual financing is going into it, but certainly like China is developing the technologies that would that could end up being affordable. Um, so I don't I mean, I certainly don't think that like China is, uh, you know, internationally financing the way that it, mm-hmm. the way that it could be. Um, but like. Again, the difference between like the U.S. churning out solar power, like solar panels and shit like that, and China is just like you know we're there we're no match. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean that's also that's something that the U.S. could help with too, is being like okay, we're going to put the money into buying the best and like most efficient technology from China, and then using it here, and also using it in other places to help transition. But uh, right, the the talking point that we've decided to go with for this administration is we're going to use the power of the free market to now start leveraging the transition into (laughs) renewable energy. But we're not even doing that because you could hypothetically start manipulating these things where we're investing in this technology and then it becomes the preferred one anyway. But the fact that we've already invested so much in fossil fuels, which as we were saying earlier, it was not even part of the international conversation at these things until this year somehow totally. uh you are at a loss for all that stuff you already dug out of the ground and that yeah. that money's paid for so nobody wants to do it and i mean and still getting paid for like the u.s invests like what 15 billion dollars every year in like just direct fossil fuel subsidies um it's like it's not all i mean definitely like part of it is the sunk cost shit but a lot of it is like still happening now and it's because I mean, as you said, it's because all these uh, fossil fuel executives are right there to like advocate for their own interests. So, right. Uh, if anything, I would like to talk about like what actually happened this week. Like in <laughs> in specific terms, what <laughs> what did we decide to do at this international conference that happens? Uh, the the mentioning of fossil fuels in the in the pledge is or in the agreement rather is like pretty interesting. Um, there was some talk of some language that would say that we need to phase out coal um, at the last minute, uh, China and the US, and then they made it look like India led this, um, kind of reworked that. So it says phase down. Um, There were, okay, so it's like in terms of real things that are happening, I think the one biggest thing is that all nations have to update their commitments um, by the end of next year for 2030. So like, how much are we going to reduce our emissions by 2030? And how are we going to do that? Uh, again, you know, if all you have to do is make your plans and no one can actually hold you to that, that's not huge. Um, but that's, I think a bigger deal in some ways than just saying fossil fuels or like mentioning fossil fuel subsidies in the agreement. Um, 
I mean, a lot of the other shit that happened, like agreeing to phase out methane or like the US and China making some vague agreements about like working together to take on the climate crisis or whatever. Um, those things can be good. But in terms of the actual agreement, like not, I mean, I don't, I don't think that it's going to amount to all that much. Right. Setting mm-hmm. a goal to have a talk later where we yeah. set an actual goal then wouldn't that exactly. be cool? Uh, so something uh, that's been getting written about a lot this week is that at COP26, the biggest delegation there more if you take it united more than representatives of one individual country, the delegation mm-hmm. from extractive industries was the largest entourage at the entire thing. Uh, yeah. What are they? I don't want to just say, what are they doing there? Cause I understand in <laughs> theory, like you want to have the people who make energy at the table to let them know in a, in theory, if we're all on paper working yeah, together, yeah. Hey, this is what our plan is. What do you think about that? But it seems like their role is to kind of just talk us down from getting too hasty. Like, is, are there any speeches that like go against that? Like was, uh, 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 Exxon or BP or something getting up and being like, first of all, I would love to tank my own company. And we're going to do it. Honestly, I'm sure that they did say that kind of thing. They can say whatever. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm true. sure that I do they it were. All the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm sure that there were executives there being like, you know, we actually want to like make it so that we can't have our business model anymore. Um, but they don't do it. I mean, they're. There was reporting in what, like 2018, I think it was. Um, I think Kate Aronoff found this for the Intercept uh, that Shell helped write part of the Paris Agreement that, like, is basically you know the like carbon markets thing where you can you can keep emitting at whatever rate, but you just like pay for some projects somewhere else. Um, you get like carbon credit somewhere else for for green projects. Um, so, so it's not even like, you know, they're, they're, there like advocating for their own interests and they have a direct, uh, say a lot of the time and exactly what comes out of these agreements. Um, so yeah, they can talk all they want about like phasing out oil and gas, but in practice, that is not the kind of shit that they're actually working to get into international treaties. But they have been very good at making it look like they are doing this. I remember, you know, BP famously, Beyond uh, petroleum, right? Did they ever move beyond petroleum, or are they still using petroleum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all. I mean, also like, there's tons and tons of people who have done research on this and like done the, their own analyses of this. But if you look at basically every oil major's energy plan, every every oil company's energy plan, really, um, there's so much talk about like moving away from all of the like bad things and building out all the new things, but they're all basically just about expanding natural gas. Like that is the majority of what oil companies are trying to push as being clean still like now, now when natural gas is like the leading contributor to um, emissions still rising. Uh, And also, also other things, obviously like these carbon trading things, um, the carbon capture and storage stuff, which doesn't actually exist, uh, you know, Right. Yeah, I definitely want about to... that. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem uh, like what we are all hinging on is uh, we're having this meeting where the plan is essentially something that no one believes will work, and that we will find a way to make money off of 
<laughs> degrowthing the world economy. And at the same time, when it doesn't work, we'll have this backup with like a Batman style uh, device that we're deploying into the atmosphere that's just sucking all the carbon out and fixing everything. Everything goes back to 1950s temperatures. Is there <laughs> is there anything like that, even sort of in the works? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely... Uh... Yeah, there's definitely people who are there. There are there have been carbon capture plans that actually exist, not at scale at all. Um, and I think I don't know. I've like sort of come around to the idea that like we do need to invest in some like kind of research and development of this technology, but not for the oil industry, right? Like at a certain point, you have to figure out how to also decarbonize like steel and cement and all these other emitting industries. Um, and maybe carbon capture and storage will have to have like a place in that. Obviously you shouldn't be able to make money off of it. It should be publicly owned, um, and like democratically controlled if it does exist. But the idea that you should be able to use that for energy when we already fucking know, like that we can get energy from the sun and from wind and shit like that. It's just like absurd. Um, what I've heard is that for carbon capture to actually make any sort of significant dent, you would basically need to clear Greenland Mm-hmm. And make it in, in the entire fucking country there into yeah. just a one big carbon capture thing. It's like, is that an actual? Po- are they actually going to do that and just like you know make a new Israel for green people who live on Greenland or <laughs> Israel something? for windmills? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be tough because a lot of Greenland will have melted by then. Yeah, it's true. God, I'm trying to imagine, like where where would you even do that? Where it would be safe from like the uh, extreme weather that's going to get so much worse. Um, I mean, the answer is like, are they actually going to do it? I don't know. I mean, like if you, at a certain point, if you throw enough money into anything, like it can happen. I no longer feel like this is totally impossible. That it, I mean, that the question is like, do you want that, or would you rather have, um, you know, something that's actually like dealing with the local impacts of extraction Mm -hmm. and like, you know, is um, fostering like a better and more just economy. Right. Like that doesn't mean that there can never be any carbon capture. Like it just means that we, that's not, I mean, that's not the solution at all. Oh, you absolutely need it. The question is like, can, can we just do full capitalism mode, uh, not cutting off any of the uh, 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 stuff we're addicted to that's destroying the planet while just having these machines on the background keeping us alive? Yeah, yeah, of and course not. Is no, for yeah, sure. Not. <laughs> well, totally. you're putting out too much. Well, one thing that at least this is the the way it's been portrayed in in mainstream media that uh, Biden really wanted to go into this summit with the BBB past with the mm-hmm. uh, Boston Baltimore Baton Rouge Act uh, <laughs> signed into law. That's what it stands for. Yeah. That's right. But that didn't happen and he also had to sign off on this um this leasing deal for for oil drilling and the way it's been portrayed is like oh this is so embarrassing for him. Angela Merkel is going to give him the side eye and all this stuff and McCone's yeah. going to be like dude what are you doing? But do they do they actually care that he's not coming in with with anything cuz like it seems like there's not a ton of, uh, you know, uh, urgency on the part of other like global north countries either. So, like, is it really that much that big of a deal on the international front that this didn't get done? I mean, I uh, is it actually embarrassing? I mean, yeah, sure. I think it's actually embarrassing. I also think it is actually 
really bad. Yeah, um, it's but no, I don't. A big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely right. bad. But whether or not like yeah, Angela Merkel actually cares, um, I don't know. I'm sure that she can like laugh about it, but it's not like she's fucking doing anything either. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, the amount that like any climate action at these treaties sort of hinges on what the U S is willing to do. is just absolutely wild. Like, mm. you know, the U S is such a major bargaining power at these things and often gets exactly what it wants. Um, so yeah, I mean, if Biden had the BBB and could have been like, here's all the commitments that we can actually make that I know that I have the authority to make the Senate isn't going to be able to like strike down, uh, then, you know, maybe we could have had some better negotiations. Yeah. I mean, this is the UN we're talking about. If, if the U S wants to do something, this is the place right. to do it. You know, yeah, we have exactly. veto power. We're right. the only one who gets any ideas through over there. The key part is wanting to, to do it. Yeah. But the, we're talking today on Saturday, the, Latest iteration of the BBB has passed the House. Um, do you think it's going to pass the Senate in, in, at all? Uh, and if it does, will it be? And how how bad is it going to be whittled down from its current form if it if it managed to get through back back through the Senate? Oh God! I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but no, I think it's going to be terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, like pretty clearly, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be terrible. But I really, really, really hope I'm wrong. Um, it's already just like so deeply inadequate this is the thing about everything right it's like it can be you can have historic new investments and they can just totally be utter shit compared to what mm. we actually need so there's all this talk of like oh uncharted territory more spending than we've ever had before which is true and also it's like just so far from being enough um so this right. is already inadequate and i think yes we'll definitely get worse if well, it passes at all it's that catchphrase, right? Because it's historic levels of spending, but like whenever there's an election and it's a historic amount of voting, none of this stuff is being held to scale. Like the the amount of spending happening uh, to create the new deal was a bigger, it, it definitely had a bigger impact than the size of deal we are looking to pass here. 100%. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, God, the press loves to i love i can say like the press but now i work for the boston club so I'm the <laughs> press. um but yeah this like idea that this is fdr levels of anything is just i mean just actually like factually completely incorrect right like this is nowhere near we're not looking at anything near that level of spending or like jobs programming or anything I mean, I'll be surprised that the people in the New Deal felt a tangible impact from like the WPA out there doing things. I will mm -hmm. be very surprised if in 2023 my life is shaped by the BBB moving around the U.S. You know, I can't imagine. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm working at the BBB plant somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's stuff in the current form of the bill that I think could be like, not, not transformative, but notable for people's lives. Um, it's just obviously like you have to wait and see if any of that actually makes it into the final bill. And I, I don't know, maybe you're just catching me on like a bad day cause I'm hungover or something, but I feel <laughs> pessimistic about it. So, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like the, the problem is that, you know, it is, it looks like a big price tag, but you know, that price tag is over several years and with the climate stuff, 
most of that price tag is is carrots, if you will. It's yeah. uh, tax incentives, which we've we've seen that movie before. It doesn't really make a tangible impact. You gotta you know grab the market by the throat and take it over. Uh, but totally. they do one thing. I'm kind of encouraged by that's, and we'll see if this makes it through the Senate. And it's you know not a foregone conclusion that anything's going to get through the Senate anyway. But um, the CCC, the Climate mm-hmm. Conservation Poor, we, mm-hmm. Core, we got BBB, we got CCC, and that is uh, inadequate, right? But the the fact that it is uh, public works jobs definitely um, is somewhat encouraging. That you're actually you would actually have young people primarily who are getting paid by the government to do stuff about climate change. Do you, do you see some hope in that, and and maybe states and municipalities seeing that and and picking it up? I mean, I, uh, I agree. I think that it's the best thing that's in the bill. It's direct spending. It's like, you know, real, uh, employment opportunities. Uh, it's modeled after something that was actually really successful, even though it is a tiny fraction of what, uh, the new deal version of it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great. The problem though, is that that's one of the things that especially Republican senators have been just like screaming about in this bill. And I think that they could certainly have some sway when it comes to folks like Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin. Um, so yeah, I think it is one of the best things in the bill. And that also means that it is maybe one of the things that is at the top of the list if things get cut, uh, which is awful. It should be way bigger, could be actually transformative, could like make people's lives better, you know, not just in like a climate sense, but also right. like really good to have public jobs it's really good for people to be employed and like do things that are meaningful Uh, meaningful work is important but i don't know i'm not feeling i would i would love to see any version of it get passed in the bill though for sure Mm -hmm. um after cop 26 there was this uh oil lease sale that -hmm. you wrote about for the boston globe can you talk a little bit about that yeah um it was the biggest uh, offshore oil and gas lease sale in U.S. history, which is wild. Um, it came as part of this like offshore leasing program that started under the Trump administration in like 2017, I believe. Uh, and the Biden administration basically says that they had to do this because, um, you know, when they first came into office, when Biden first took the White House, he had this thing where he was going to put like a uh, temporary halt on selling new oil and gas leases on public lands. Um, some Republican senators sued him for it, led by the lovely or no, sorry, not senators. Attorneys general um, sued him for it. Uh, federal court ruled uh, that they were right. And indeed, Biden did not have the authority to uh, put a moratorium on oil and, ga- oil and gas leases. So the Biden administration is basically like, OK. That means that we have to comply with this court order, which means that we have to keep selling oil and gas leases. But I talked to a bunch of legal experts who were basically like, that doesn't make any sense. The oil, like the the order rather didn't say that you have to sell anything. It just says that you can't put this moratorium on there. But like, that doesn't mean that you couldn't have just refused to do this on other bases. Like Mm. the fact that maybe they're not even going to sell or the fact that they will completely destroy the climate. Um, Right. It's the Biden bread and butter, which is having... Uh, principles, and then the moment anyone objects to them, just completely giving up wholesale and doing whatever makes the kids stop yelling. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's the thing too. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think the the thing is that I've gotten some people have like kind of hit me up about this article and been like, well, it would have been political suicide for them to not do this. And like, 
yeah, it maybe would have been really politically difficult. I'm not saying it would have been easy. It's just that it would have been possible and that you would expect people to actually like keep their promises when it comes to like the um, greatest existential threat that humanity has ever faced. But, Hmm. um, you know, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't have like gotten wrecked in courts after that, whatever, you know, it might've been really hard, but they should have done it anyway. This is a man with like 35% approval rating right now. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not just swing right. for it? It's a exactly. big deal. And it's not like, yeah, Republicans have ever, I mean, not, I guess not ever, but it's pretty common for Republicans in power to ram through unpopular things that they nonetheless get elected on. It's almost um, the whole point debate. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, also, like, man, there's a whole, coming back to the carbon capture thing, there's a whole other part about this oil and gas lease sale where like it's entirely possible that some of these uh, leases won't even be used to drill. They'll be used to, oil companies might try to use some of these to store carbon underneath the ocean instead of trying to extract oil and gas from them. Um, Uh There's some good reporting in that. Yeah, it's wild. Um, What is it going to do under there? Just sit there and like Create probably sea monsters or? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, probably. Um, it will yeah, there will be some kind of like Gulf Locks and Lockins monster, I'm sure, that comes out of this. Um, but yeah, that's like a whole other because like oil and gas are not even good investments right now, right? Like Trump tried to have a big uh lease sale in the Arctic right before he left office and it just like totally bombed. Nobody really wanted to buy these leases in the first place. Um, so hmm. yeah, now oil companies got to get creative about what they're going to do with all of this property. And part of what it seems that they might try to do is um, store carbon from other oil projects underneath, uh, underneath how do the you, ocean. How do you do that? I don't understand. Like, do they have I a don't big that... reverse well and it shoots oil back down? What is happening? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, they would have to. I mean, they basically they would have to. First of all, they'd have to make the carbon capture plants that don't exist yet. Then they would have to inject that carbon into the Gulf of Mexico and somehow keep it from ever coming back. I mean, I, the, the answer is that like the, the technology to do this does not exist right now yet. Um, we'll see maybe one day, but definitely doesn't right now. Um, also sounds really bad and dangerous to me, but you know, well, the starting point of the conversation, this is one of the first things you learn when you look into climate change stuff is that we cannot afford to while staying under uh, a livable uh, ecosystem burned the oil we've already dug up. So yeah. digging more is you're going and getting the oil and then fundamentally cannot and should not use it. So I am, I am surprised. I am, I intuitively understand how it makes sense, but like, I am surprised that people are still buying these assets anyway. Uh, how did the sale go? I guess is my question. Exxon was the company that bought up the most leases. Um, I mean, they sold like it didn't tank the way that that one in the Arctic did. Uh, There also just hasn't been as much pressure to stop drilling in the Gulf as there has been in the Arctic um, for various reasons, just like how the sort of climate movement played out. Um, But I mean, yeah, whether or not actually anyone uses these assets to drill from is a completely different question, right? Like, Again, Do you think it affected the sale too. that we're closer to the Honda days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm, probably. I'm sure that was the defining factor. Okay, you're on the record for this. <laughs> Happy Honda days. Uh, 
Well, it seems like your beat is uh, more national, but I am curious because you do write for the Boston Globe. Um, what you make of new mayor Michelle Wu's Green New Deal for Boston? Is that uh, something cool? It seems like something cool. I. It's a very early yet, I think, to tell um, how much of it she's going to fight for and how it's actually going to play out. Um, but I'm, I mean already on her first day in office to, you know, make moves for free public transit is, is pretty amazing. Um, and she, I will say that, like, I don't think that the most important thing obviously about a politician is the way that they speak, but I think Mm -hmm. it's important for someone trying to sell a green new deal to like, be able to link for people, the idea that like climate policy can actually make your life better. Like it's not about austerity. Um, and she does seem to be doing a pretty good job of that. So I don't know, I guess to be determined, but uh, it is cool that she got elected in the first place. So, yeah, that's kind of the big hope for me is uh, local municipalities in general for this stuff, because it just does not seem like the federal level, there's going to be anything approaching a Green New Deal passed anytime soon. Um, but or if in enough- context of COP26, the international level, mm-hmm. right, because when right. you watch this big meeting, people are losing their minds on the Internet this week. Uh, I don't know if you, you follow climate people, but there's a for sure there's a there's a big debate. I, I would like to get your opinion on this of just like despair politics, because if you're a climate agitator and you're someone who's trying to get everyone to be active about climate and go do activism or politics for climate, you need to be severe about the stakes and what everything yeah. means. Uh but especially after big events like this happens where there's an international meeting and everything almost seems like it's moving backwards. Uh, the discussion then becomes like, are you scaring everyone into a state of being catatonic? Like, uh, yeah. Where, where is the line between being helpful and being destructive? I guess. To be totally honest, my opinion on this is that, like, I think it's bizarre that there's an entire, like, cottage industry devoted to, like, trying to message properly when what we actually need is material change. Like, I I do think that there are definitely um, more and less useful ways to talk about the climate crisis. Like, I think that there's more and less useful and more and less, like, you know, kind of understandable messaging. Um, I don't think that being unnecessarily... Uh, catastrophic about things is a solution to anything. But I also think that like um, occasionally I will see debates like this veering into the territory where you basically are just like telling people to calm down for no reason or like kind of like like tone policing the way that people talk about climate change basically. And I'm like, you should also allow people to be freaked out and scared because it's really fucking scary (laughs) and awful. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm like, uh, it's not that it's not interesting how, how the messaging works. I just kind of feel like it's pretty clear that the messaging is not, um, so far, none of it has really been effective. And it's pretty clear that like changing how we talk about these things is not going to be the defining factor. Um, so I, I guess my, my main feeling is like, let people live. Right. Um, yeah. I, it does, And it also seems, it seems weird to take this thing that is fundamentally terrifying and tell people to stop yelling about it. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is just my background in the arts, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there is no amount of screaming that is too much about this issue because there are, there still is a sizable chunk of the population that does not have their mind wrapped around it. Like, this totally. is not an abstract concept. This is something you will be experiencing. Your children will be experiencing. And it's the defining 
issue of their lives. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I like I have been a climate reporter for years now, and I still find myself like, I'll learn about something new and be like, I am, I don't know if I can get out of bed today, actually, like, this is <laughs> even worse than I thought it was. Um, and it really, I mean, you know, it really is that bad. Everyone should not just like freaking out about nothing. And I think, uh, yeah, it's weird to weird to tell people to stop yelling about something so important. So the middle ground where they get out of the bed, but also are very <laughs> aware <laughs> that yeah, exactly. they could have stayed in the bed, I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think the key thing is, like, as you said, making this uh, part of, of people's lives and and I think, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately, it starts at, at the local level, actually like using public money and authority to create this industry that the mm-hmm. private sector just has not done and and cannot do if we can do that. And enough people from different backgrounds see that, that there are actually there are jobs that don't have to come from the private sector and they're making people's lives better and they're making the world inhabitable for future generations. I think that's probably the the strongest like message uh that that we could we could hope for yeah i i totally agree i personally would like nothing more than to see climate policies that even people who are like complete climate deniers want right like i want the things that will make people's lives so much better in the process that you can't even like whether or not you know anything about like greenhouse gas emissions or even if you're like not afraid of that at all you just like can't help but want the the jobs and like the transit and the better housing and shit like that too Mm -hmm. right the game does seem to be getting local power and then later hopefully transitioning that from the bottom up into something that can be directed from a bigger uh structure uh because i mean just from the the way that politics plugs into people's brains, like the state of Florida collectively should be all on board reducing yeah. carbon, but they're probably the biggest ones against it somehow, uh, just due to the way the game plays out. So it does start where you live and uh, programs in your city and your area in general, your state. For sure. And I, I also think that like, Part of the reason, right, that so many places that are so deeply dependent on oil are also so susceptible to climate denial is because it's like entire economies are tied to these industries, right? Like even if you work as like a school teacher, like, you know, at the secretary at some public building or something, you're if you're like main tax revenue, if your main tax base is the oil industry, if you live in Texas or something, then like even a teacher's job is essentially tied to the oil industry. Like you're and they do this on purpose, right? Like your mm-hmm. your interests are completely wrapped up in the oil industry's interests. And so obviously, like, it's really difficult for you to think about anything um, that would dismantle that industry. And so I think that's why it's as important to sort of like come up with the economic alternatives as we're transitioning away from oil and gas versus just being like, I mean, obviously, we need to like shut down the plants and stuff, too. But the other part of it is, is just as important, I think. Right. And yeah, reaching out to those those people. I know we, we talked about this on the show, I feel like this was maybe a year ago, but uh, there's been an effort to organize directly, like, I think specifically people who have been laid off by the, the energy industry. Um, what kind of efforts are you seeing in, in that? And, you know, maybe the existing uh, employees of, of energy companies, is is there a way to break through for them, to them on a uh, on an organizing level? Those people totally. got to be depressed. Yeah. I mean, for sure. It's also like, there's so much 
animosity, I think, towards anybody. And I like for, for reasons, I guess, are sort of understandable. But there's so much animosity for anybody who has anything to do with the oil industry that I think so often people will like, you know, not have sympathy for someone who is just mm-hmm. trying to fucking do his job and then gets yeah. laid off. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely some good efforts. I mean, speaking of Texas, um, down there, there's been some pretty amazing organizing through uh, the Texas AFL-CIO with this program called the Texas Climate Jobs Program. We're basically like, I mean, pretty like explicit leftists um, kind of organized for this massive proposal, like a green jobs proposal that the entire Texas AFL-CIO, including people who work in like the energy industry endorsed. Um, Yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, I think it's pretty incredible. It's like very uh, intuitive, but also I think kind of surprising that uh, jobs leading climate programs are even, you know, desirable to people who work in the industry. Um, Nobody wants to work in a dying industry, you know, they just also don't want to like have their other option be working at Dollar General or whatever. So Right. And as they say on cable news, nobody wants to work in general. Is <laughs> <laughs> he taking selfies at Starbucks? Yeah, exactly. Go to That's what the I goddamn do. job. That's I right. personally love to take a selfie at Starbucks. Being yeah, the cup, yeah. I write my funny name on it. They spell it wrong. That sounds good right now, actually. Oh, my yeah. God. They have this thing called the salted caramel a cold brew where they just like inject a hundred grams of sugar directly uh-huh. into your coffee. And it's I the drank best that thing once. It's disgusting. Sodium. It's so fucking good, dude. <laughs> I saw it. Oh my God. This is like the most horrible thing I will ever say. I saw an ad recently <laughs> for some pistachio flavored Starbucks drink. And now every time I hear Starbucks, I'm like, I want to drink that fucking pistachio. Thing. I can't remember the last time I, I went to Starbucks, pistachio. but I want the fucking pistachio. <laughs> That's thing. great marketing. It's their logos green. Pistachios are green. It's stuck in your. Y'all are getting paid for though. this right now, right? Right by Starbucks. <laughs> we should yeah, yeah. be. We're yeah. a big Fairly. podcast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> We yeah, should nationalize the, Starbucks. That's what I, I do feel really? like I have to bring up that when I drink this drink, I feel how I imagine a car feels when it gets its oil changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They put like a cocaine rim on the on the salted caramel cold brew. It's yeah. a very expensive drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Darno, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can our listeners find you? And is there anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I tweet at my name on Twitter at Darna Noor. I'm not going to spell that, but it's fine. You can figure it out. Um, I'll put it in the title. Yeah. It's foolproof. (laughs) Um, what do I want to plug? I write for the Boston Globe now. Um, I also recently did a, uh, I co-produced a series of the podcast Drilled with, uh, the journalist Amy Westervelt, who's amazing. So if you want to be even more um, angry and sad, but also like learn some <laughs> funny things, then you should listen to that if you feel like it. Cool. Well, Great. thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Yep. So it's an- another week in the news. Bad stuff. Bad stuff all around for the most part. But we are getting some humor out of those clowns in Congress. Uh, Polly G. Right. Which is his name, Paul, Mr. Gosar. Uh, you saw this video. I, it's been it's been taken down, so I didn't get a chance to, to grab a peek. But basically, he did what uh, some Gundam uh, wing no. slams on. 
He didn't do Gundam Wing Slams. Okay. He's a congressman who found a funny video, like we all do, of a Photoshop of the first Attack on Titan opening where his head replaces the little... Do you know Attack on Titan? No. Oh, Andrew, it's uh... a very political show. Okay. This is the show that is foremostly debated is anime fascist because it's about... Really? It's about this... uh, this world where there are these giant steaming meat giants, these meat trolls that uh, roam the land and they're Hmm. the natural predator to humans. And the show is all about wiping them out. And then the implication, because the understandably the people in the show live under a state of fascism as their entire society is regeared to combating these Titans who are their natural predators. Uh, the the question is because the the guy who made the show made some comments defending the Japanese in World War II uh, is uh-huh. and then through a certain twist at the end of a certain season maybe implies that the Titans are a metaphor for Jews, which like wow. doesn't super track based on the things in the show, but that I think people get lazy and just put the Holocaust in things because they're bored. That's my theory on it. But uh, uh, fascist nerds do love the show. And so somebody made a video that's the Attack on Titan opening with uh, based chuds and Republicans over the good guys and then like AOC and Nancy Pelosi as the Titans. So it's a video of like, this guy murdering AOC over and over again, essentially (laughs) with like a broadsword, and she's like a big walking monster (laughs) and he shared it online. And then it turns out when you're a congressman, that is frowned upon. So that's the story. (laughs) Well, the question is, what would you have done if uh, someone made this video of you? Who's one of your enemies? Um, First of all, any of my followers on Twitter.com would share a video like this of me because they hate me and they want me. They don't want to see me shine the way I do, just the way I act like I do as a titan of the scene. So so they might make one of themselves uh, killing you. Right, killing just to get their own clout. Like it would be a clout move. And if it happened to me, I would laugh because like I'm a cool guy, but – I uh, like if I'm AOC, I might be like, hey, stop encouraging people to kill me. People keep sending me <laughs> letters that they're going to kill me. It's, <laughs> it's not funny anymore. Um, and I get no letters about people trying to kill me. So that's just my privilege. And I totally get why it happened to him. But like, I would be cool about it, probably. Yeah, probably not a good idea to share it in any case if it's you killing someone else. If you're it's getting him killed, killing then so that's... many people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's not just okay. Well, it's not okay, just him. It's so like, I thought oh, it was like Donald Trump's in there. I think I thought it was just AOC getting murked, but it's also other Democrats in Congress. Oh yeah, it's all the big ones. They're getting oh, their okay. necks chopped open, steams flying out, and uh, the Republicans are Spider Manning around. It's a pretty good video. I encourage you to give it a watch. <laughs> and so they found this and they were uh, they took umbrage to it uh but they be- that's because they just don't understand the great art of anime because they and, don't understand anime I'm saying. And so Polly G had to explain this to to Congress what anime was. 
Right. And then they were like, stop sharing videos of you killing people. What? <laughs> Why don't you know about this? So and and if I'm not mistaken, all of he's been stripped of his committee ships. Is that right? Right. Which is one of can the he, worst things that can happen to a person. <laughs> well, can he still vote? Because this would actually be a good strategy if the Democrats are actually serious about ramming stuff through is you could do this to basically any sitting Republican congressperson. Just like find some death threat that they've made. Right. There are attack on Titan videos of every sitting Republican. Right. And you could just dig those up and you could expel all of them from all of their committees and then do as you please. I don't know if that takes away their their ability to vote vote. But it's a democratic strategy of the, of the term, I think. Now that we've failed in every other environment, right. we have to resort to media terrorism. By digging all up Sam have Simonsing left. all Republicans <laughs> out of their jobs. Simpsons writer <laughs> Sam Simons. Yeah, U- using uh, online snitching to destroy their careers. I think if it works, we have to use it, folks. You have to take the tools that you have. Yeah, I mean, that's they're not doing anything else. But they, that's, the, that's the thing. Like most things, they don't actually want to do this. They like having that bare majority. Right. They like losing... They like watching the videos of their heads getting cut off. They think it's funny. Right. <laughs> yeah, check out uh, Attack on Titan at home. We're in plugs Yeah, now, now I want to watch this. It sounds very similar, though, to um, one of the only animes I have watched, Evangelion. It is very different than Evangelion. Okay. If for no other reason than they don't run out of money two-thirds through and then have to make up an ending where they recycle <laughs> pictures. That was so. It was like yeah, some which has a cultural, cultural artifact. It's like crazy. We all decided to rewatch it, knowing that's how it ends. <laughs> right. I couldn't get through that. I just it reminded me too much of like surrealist theater. I had to turn it off. Yeah. No. This is much more straightforward. You can debate if it's fascist or not. It's a much more entertaining show for sure. Okay, but how can you justify watching it if it's fascist? Same oh, way I do every gotcha. day. Gotcha. Checkmate. <laughs> So I'm going to do it every goddamn day of my life. Alex Patak has been censured for watching Attack on Remember the Titans. Attack on um, Remember the Titans. That's right. Where they use racism to defeat the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, other plugs. You can follow me on Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen, and maybe I have some exciting things coming on there. For example, we have officially rebooted our monthly DSA fundraiser stand-up show paid protest live at the Secret Loft every month in New York City. Uh, first show, December 10th. Okay? It's a hot lineup. You want to be there. Uh, we're, indoor- we're, we're, we're supporting the... Uh, New York for Cooney campaign that DSA is running. It's some nice stuff. It's going to be a hot show. I'm writing stand-up for it, which I haven't done since February 2020. Check it out. Speaking of hot shows, if you're in Minnesota, where it is not hot, it is cold, but you can warm up with some laughs. At Sisyphus Brewing, Friday, November 26, 8 and 10 p.m., I will be there with Ben Katzner at a lot of funny Folks, um, that's at Sisyphus Brewing, 8 and 10 p.m., November 26th. Take it to 10 bucks. Get and, out of the cold. That's right. And uh, last but not least, something I want to make sure we promote. Uh, we've been talking about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse getting off. <laughs> um, but uh, not everyone is so lucky as him. 
there is a young man in Queens, New York, named Prakash Churaman, who uh, has been detained unjustly. And Melinda Katz is like refusing to let him out. Um, and you can find more about that uh, on his GoFundMe page, GoFundMe.com slash free. Uh, well, we'll put in the links. Free Prakash. Uh, and he needs money. They need to raise money to pay for his legal defense. And uh, yeah, because this is a very screwed up case. But we will we will link to that. Uh, otherwise, you can find me at Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley One on Instagram. Check out Redacted Tonight. Okay, and that's going to be us for this week. Chop on, fellow travelers. 